This is the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss, brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation, your external learning and development partner. Each week, we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who are subject matter experts and are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is female leadership, advancing your career with intentionality, courage and follow through. And our guest today is Shanna Hawking. She is a leadership consultant, philanthropic advisor and keynote speaker with over 20 years of experience raising hundreds of millions of dollars and leading large teams at organizations such as Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, Children's School of Philadelphia, University of Alabama, and Duke University. Her clients include universities, national nonprofit organizations, global businesses, and family foundations. Her articles have been published in Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Career Contessa, Huffington Post, Motherly, and Forbes. Before the pandemic, more women in the workforce positively influenced the economy with higher average wages for all employees. The pandemic put unique stresses on women, with many quitting or downsizing their roles to accommodate increased caregiver duties for family at home. As women navigate returning to work or upward movement in their current positions, resources are needed to make the greatest game plan for success. Shanna Hawking devised a strategy and a practical roadmap to support women at every stage of their career and life. And she calls this one bull move a day. Shanna, very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you, William. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Your book, I have to say, is such a practical read. This is a gift to our listeners, um, especially uh, those interested in female leadership and advocates for such. And I'm going to quote two authors um, who have high praise for this. Uh, I'll start off with Melody Wilding, who is just a recent guest on the podcast. And she's a professor of human behavior and author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Challenge Your, Challenge Your Emotions for Success at Work. And she says this, powerful and practical one ball move day is an ambitious woman's guide to playing bigger in your career without giving up who you are. Hawking tackles both the mindset and tangible skills high achievers need to craft a new path to success and make an impact while they're at it. I can't recommend this book enough. I wish it existed 10 years ago. How about that for praise? Melody is such a special person. She was so wonderful to interview. And if our listeners are lead, uh, listening in and want another podcast, that is brilliant to listen to. And then Dory Clark, she's the uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Long Game, and she's executive faculty at Duke University. I 
really like her book, The Long Game, especially if you're talking about career uh, direction. And she says, one bold move a day is a must read for aspiring and current leaders who want to make a meaningful impact on the world and those around them. Using personal stories and research-based strategies, Shanna Hocking shows you how to make meaningful actions to get you closer to who you want to become in your professional and personal life. I really like this about the book that it's it gets that balance right, isn't it? There's, there's so much going on. We are so much more than our jobs. We are so much more than anything that we do at work. And so helping us to grow personally and professionally, just like you said, is a, is a purpose and passion of mine. And and in this book, you share the action plan. It's a it's a bit like your template to what led to success. And what I like this, it's you mentioned that it's more than a checklist. It is about intentionality and courage and follow up. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book and how it's written? One bold move a day is a practical hand-on roadmap to show you how making this intentional action each day can help you achieve your goals and fulfill your potential personally and professionally. And when I wrote this, much like what Melody said, this is the book that I wished that I had had on my bookshelf, that someone had said it was okay to be ambitious and grateful, that it was okay to want more in your career and for your life. And at the end of each chapter, there are three bold moves that you can make now as guides to help you in putting this approach into practice. And I also say that you define for yourself what a bold move is each day. I I like that, that you, you define it yourself. Now, I must say from our Irish listeners, and this is a cultural perspective, what it means to be bold in Ireland culturally, in, in Ireland, it means naughty or misbehaving. Mm. Okay. Whereas in different parts of the world, in the UK, it means brave and courageous. So can you tell us a little bit more about what bold moves might, what might they look like in, in the workplace? Like I'm kind of going, oh, I'm not sure about this bold move business. You know, you, you said like three at the end of each chapter. You know, what might a, a bold move look like? Well, first, I really appreciate the cultural nuance that you shared with me, William, that uh, it's important to me that this is something that everyone, regardless of their their birthplace or their situation, can find their own um, genuine style in this approach. So it's it's important first to define what I say a bold move is, because I think a bold move is different from boldness. A bold move is a meaningful action that helps you move forward, learn, and grow. And when you look at it in that context, you realize that many of the things we do every day are bold moves. We might not label them as such. So yes, a bold move in the workplace could be asking for a raise or negotiating for your salary or um, speaking up to disagree with someone more senior than you in the office. But a bold move is also sharing an idea in a meeting and supporting your colleagues. And so this is how it is a way that's approachable and appropriate for the workplace. And it is a little bit about getting outside your comfort zone a little bit, isn't it? Absolutely, because when we stay where we are, we're not likely to reach our goals or we probably would have already gotten there. And so this bold move gives you the pathway by which to reach your goals um, and also celebrate your progress along the way. I really like that. And I'm very conscious of people listening in here. And there might be people listening into this podcast and looking for inspiration and, and they might be saying to themselves, 
I need to get my head right. And I like this about your your book is you have different mindsets, the four different mindsets. So what are what are the mindsets we need to strive towards the best version of ourselves? So there are four mindsets that become the foundation of what I call your bold move mindset. And I'll walk you through the four mindsets because they are independent, but they work complementary with each other. The first is the gratitude mindset. That if you find ways to be grateful for what you're living through and experiencing each day, it helps keep you present in the moment. And it also leads into your joy in your journey. The and mindset is accepting that there uh, can be a both and in the work and life you're experiencing rather than an either or. We tend to feel like things are competing with each other. And when we find that beautiful space in the middle, we see that you can enjoy even in challenge. The happiness mindset is a reminder. Happiness doesn't come when you reach your goal. Happiness is what you have with you on the pursuit of your goals. And it is your happiness that leads to success, not the opposite way around. And this is an opportunity for you to see the role that you play in the world around you and the experiences that you have. And then the progress mindset. Reminder that it's important to celebrate each step along the way to reaching your goals and that when you celebrate these small wins, that you're more likely to keep going when things get challenging. That is really good. And the advice that you have here is is, is so good. And when we speak about mindsets, then a lot of times when I'm coaching women and, and female leaders, um, sometimes we think about self-belief as this common barrier and and you mentioned this this is a, in your book it's a lifelong process so we have the mindsets there we might be having the mindsets we we might be getting in our own way a little bit like self-confidence might go up and down and that's normal like i i don't know about you but does your confidence go up and down or but what are your thoughts on on the confidence piece you're nodding yes for certainly rigorously. yeah <laughs> i'm nodding yes for no one who can see but with you on this that at every stage in your career, it is um, normal and appropriate to feel uncertain about what you're about to do. That's a recognition that you are learning and your capacity to do something and grow. And so uh, there are days where I feel more confident or less confident. It's a reminder that I believe in my own abilities and I believe in my capacity to learn. And when you do that, you're taking an actionable step towards your growth. I, I really like that because a lot of people, when they get stepped up for promotion into leadership positions or if you become a global director or something like that, you're kind of stretched beyond your comfort zone, aren't you? And that's what's yes. kind of going, oh, my, I have a lot to learn here. That's part of it as well. But it's about reframing it as I just need to learn more rather than, oh, I'm 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 not I have no value or I'm not providing value in the role is you're promoted for a reason, isn't it? Absolutely. You were promoted for a reason and you belong in that role and at that table. And you don't have to have everything figured out all at once. Frankly, if you did, you probably would be too senior for the role that you're walking into. So it's expected, it should be expected that you have something to learn, something to do. And also you're bringing with you all the experience you've already had. So it's it's being able to live in that and in the middle that you can have things to learn still and also be very good at what you do. And I like that in the book where you, you have that specific section on 
and as well can you tell me a little bit about that so if i was to listen in here so i was i was uh, retracing my notes at the weekend while my boys are swimming i was looking at the book and i was i was uh, i was going through that and i really like this and approach can you tell me a little bit more about that how might that show up or how could we use this as a tool for ourselves so the the and mindset was one of the newest mindsets that came to me and it really started during the pandemic when things were so challenging in those first few months and nothing seemed clear, everything was uncertain and it was hard. You know, we were really facing very difficult situations. And yet there would be moments where you would talk to a loved one or a colleague and you would laugh and you would say something good that had happened that day. And sometimes we would feel guilty that we were having these joyful moments in these hard times. And, and it was this cognizant feeling of, do I have to feel like these things are fighting? Can I allow them to coexist? Can I allow this feeling to say, it's okay to have more than one feeling at a time? And that feelings belong at work. Your emotions are part of who you are. And, and so the and mindset has been this acceptance that you can feel more than one thing at the same time and that you can um, comfortably live in that discomfort and and just feel like this is just part of what life is all about. Yeah. So that so if we were going back to the limiting beliefs, then it could be I am finding this challenging and remembering I still have a lot to offer. Absolutely. And I know a lot of our listeners, like anytime I meet people for coffee or something like that, the amount of times that we have the kind of two things going on, it's okay to coexist. So I I, I like that. And can you tell me a little bit then is is we talk about that barrier of of that self-belief but what are the other ways that we get in our own way is it unrealistic expectations is it perfection lack of delegation what are the ways that we get in our own way well we often get in our own way with our unrealistic expectations to your point we um we have unrealistic timelines uh we have unrealistic beliefs for ourselves and others we also get in our own way when we feel guilty about what we're doing, thinking we should be doing something else. This feeling of guilt robs us from being present in the moment where we are. And that the more that we can say, okay, I made some progress today. Maybe I didn't achieve everything that I wanted to, or, okay, that didn't come as naturally to me as I would have liked, but I did find that I was learning as I was doing it. We're giving ourselves grace and space to be able to uh, to learn and grow on a timeline that might not align with what we thought at the beginning. I love that term, grace and space. And when I was uh, listening to you there, it was much to do with the that internal talk or that internal voice. And that reminded me of this section in the book. In those moments, which voice you listen to is your choice? You have the choice to be your own biggest fan because if you want others to believe in you, you'll have to believe in yourself first. And believing in yourself first doesn't mean you have everything figured out. It means taking on a challenge anyways. Confidence is taking action to move you closer to your potential. I love that last line. So it is about making those small, one small bold move every day that moves you closer to whatever confidence means to you. Is, is is that it or would it be something else? That's it. That's it. That when we are making these moves, even when we feel unsure, especially when we feel unsure, we are taking a step closer to our fullest potential. And that confidence isn't something we feel before we do it. 
it comes from the action that we are taking and making. It comes from the intentionality and the courage and the follow through. This is what I really like about your book as well. And I have to say, go back to that grace and space. I think that's so important for us to reflect, isn't it? And that's the beauty about at the end of each chapter here, you encourage people, for example, to find my superpowers. How might I find my superpowers? Please tell me. I am a big believer that it has superpowers. And I do think that it's important for us to feel comfortable talking about what your innate strengths are. And culturally and in the workplace, particularly for women, we're often told not to shine too brightly, not to be too boastful about our, ourselves. And I think that this is limiting us from being able to fulfill our potential at work. And this is true for, for every person. So figuring out what your superpowers are can happen in lots of different ways. Sometimes it comes from sitting down quietly with a pen and a paper and writing down the things where you feel your greatest energy, the things that come so naturally to you that you don't even think twice about it. Maybe it's the compliments you get most frequently from your best friend or your boss or your colleague. What are the consistent themes that emerge when they tell you what you're great at? And then it can also come from th that you have learned that you have realized are things that you want to be really good at and you want to be known for and you're further cultivating them. And I really like that you said in your book is that pattern of compliments that you receive. Sooner or later, you're going to have to accept these compliments as well, isn't it? Accepting a compliment is such an important skill, William. And I know that you you can feel that way too, that it's it's a learned skill for all of us to say thank you when someone tells you what you're good at. What people are doing is offering you that feedback. Now, I know you talk about feedback in your book. And sometimes when we get feedback, it's that positive feedback or that positive praise that we get that we have to believe that people need to reinforce our blind spots and our blind spots don't always have to be negative. Sometimes these are hidden superpowers that we didn't realize were our superpowers. And again, you know, you mentioned this quote in the book, you don't need anyone else to validate your amazingness. Tell me more. I spent such a long time in my life and career waiting for other people to tell me what I was good at, to give me praise for the things that I was doing and working on. And when they didn't, uh, it was devastating. And when they did, I just felt like I needed it more. And I think there's a really important balance between knowing how to accept a compliment from someone and also realizing it's your job to compliment yourself. And the moment I stopped waiting for other people to tell me what I did well and acknowledge this within myself, it was the greatest freeing power that I gave myself because it meant that I could proceed the way that I best thought and allowed myself to make the decisions that were right for me. And sometimes the need for approval or, or validation for people comes from self-limiting beliefs. How do you overcome those self-limiting beliefs? Is it a mantra that you have? Is it that you face your fears? You know, what are the different ways that you overcome that? I think that our need for approval or our self-limiting beliefs start as early as our childhood. These things are developed in us in ways that we don't even know. So it does take work to overcome them in your adult life. And I think that there's lots of different strategies that can work for different people. I'm a huge fan of having a mantra. I believe in saying it in the mirror, you know, reminding myself of the value and the ideas that I have and bring 
uh, whether it's before I go onto a stage to give a keynote or before I walk into a room to work with a client or back when I worked you know, in an office before I went in to ask for a promotion or a salary raise or sometimes just to have a difficult conversation at work. I also think that our ability to get past the limiting beliefs we have comes from putting ourselves out there and seeing how it feels and following through and, and that you are not going to overcome them per se, but you will work through them. And I think that's the biggest difference. Going back to what you said earlier, William, we are there are always points in our life and career where we feel uncertain. The goal is not to feel certain all the time. It's to believe in your capacity to work through that and learn. And that's one of the biggest learnings I've had uh, over the last 15 years or so is is how to work through those fears. I've faced a lot of fears uh, in my time. And one of the, the, a couple of the things that I, you know, work on is I have a folder. And I know you talk about this as well. I have a folder in my office and I really identified with this. Um, and I have a project well-being folder. And all the compliments that I've gotten, all the testimonials, everything. So if I have a day of self-doubt or something like that, I open up the folder and kind of go, well, there's enough evidence I'm doing something right here. Uh, and then, then, you know, I, I, I talk about my fears uh, with people. And in my office, I have an old birthday card that I gave to my grandmother. And it's actually a picture of two little monkeys. So it's a, a mother monkey and um, a baby monkey. And in that, I have written a quote that she used to say all the time to me because I had a fear of rejection from people, you know, and she used to say each to their own, like the monkey kissing the cow. And it is really <laughs> you can't please everybody, you know, and find your tribe, find people who you do like, you know, and all you can do is your best yeah, and the rest is is on them not you, you know, so I really like that. And actually how I continue this even to this day is I wear a bracelet and it's a quote as well from my grandmother, what's for you won't go by you. So this is a, a very mm. common saying. I think everybody's grandmother all over the world has says has said that. Um, and again, you talk about approval in the book and you talk about what approval do I need from myself? So for me, approval from myself meant I could relax and take a break. That was the biggest thing I had to learn over the pandemic. For you, what what, did, what were your learnings, especially when writing the book, what approval do you need from yourself? Well, when you're writing a, a book, there is a lot of self-talk that is required because you are writing something that will not come out for a period of time. Mm. And you have to tell yourself that this is going to help other people. That when you feel unsure or or fit or tired, that you keep going because you believe that this is going to help someone. And it's almost a fantastical journey because mm. that's a lot of self-talk and you have to be pretty confident in the ability that you have to help someone. And also um, you're talking to someone who, who hasn't even seen it yet. Um, but I have found that over time, the more that I can uh, focus on serving people focus on really supporting people in their greatest needs and reminding them of what makes them special and great, that it's the guiding light to help others achieve more than they thought was possible. And that doesn't mean that everyone's going to love me or my choices along the way. But if I believe in what I am doing, and I know that I am clear on that, 
uh, it gives me the strength to keep going. And when you talk about that, lots of internal voices going on, there's lots of overthinking going on as well. So I know when I overthink, I can sometimes get overwhelmed. Um, and what advice would you give to people if they, if they are overthinking? So, so for example, I am stretched at the moment in my, my current role, if I'm in HR or a senior manager or whatever. Like what advice would you give to people or what are the practical ways people can overcome overthinking? Yes, that is a common concern for all of us right now and always. You know, there's so many things we have to do and want to do. When things feel the most overwhelming, my best advice is to stop looking at the to-do list, stop feeling that there's lots of things you need to do and say, what is the one best step that I can take right now? One, not 15, not 40, not for tomorrow, right now, and then do that thing. And then after you do that thing, then you can revisit and say, okay, what is the one best step I can make right now? And taking things one step at a time will eventually get you back to a place where you feel like perhaps you can look a little bit more forward or back at that to-do list. It's a reminder that we can only focus on what we can control. We can only focus on what's in front of us. And sometimes the best thing to do is to um, keep going and not look at the whole big picture at the same time. And that's going back to that progress mindset as well, isn't it? What do I need to do right now to get me closer to that goal? And I, I love that. And and here's what else is, is, is when you limit your thinking this way, you also limit what's possible for yourself. Ask yourself, what's the best possible outcome that can happen? I love that. Oh, I love that mindset too, William. I spent so long in my life, I could tell you every negative thing that could happen for any decision that I was about to make. And- mm. It felt like a self-preservation. It was self-preservation to think of all the negative things. But it was daring to think about what the most wonderful outcome could be, the best possible mm -hmm. outcome. That felt like, who, who am I to do that? And yet, sometimes the best possible outcome does happen for you. So why limit ourselves to thinking about only the bad things and the negative things? And that's it, isn't it? And, and this is what you have here uh, in your book. I overthink things I or wish I could avoid them altogether until I remember all of this is a choice. Fears can hold you back or you can channel your energy to use your fears to help you move forward. The very act of feeling fear reminds you to be present in the moment that you're in. What a leadership quote there. That should be in every MBA because it's true, isn't it? It's fear that's holding us back. Oftentimes, yes. People are listening to this and they're going, okay, I'm motivated now to buy this book. I am going to be setting myself three bold moves every day. So we're, we're doing goal setting now and we're in a time here where lots of people are setting goals. What, what, what do people get wrong about setting goals? Because you talk about consistency or intentionality and you talk about follow through. What do people get wrong about when they're setting goals for themselves or with others? Okay, well, here is what uh, might be an unpopular opinion, but I feel very strongly about with goal setting. I'm not a huge fan of the SMART goals, which is very common in America. Mm. I'm not certain about that in, in Ireland because it makes us focus on fitting lots of boxes. Goals, according to research, should be specific and challenging. And this is what most people miss when they're setting their goals is they're not specific enough. They're not defining why this is important to them when they're going to achieve it or when they're going to start, what does it even mean? 
and they don't set them challenging enough. Now, this doesn't mean that every goal should be completely unattainable. It should make your heart flutter a little bit. It should feel inspiring to you. It should feel like you are saying, I believe in my capacity to do things that other people may not believe in. And that when you uh, set out goals like that and create a system to achieve them and bring other people to keep you accountable in working toward them and you celebrate your progress, so much more is possible for you than you realize. And that's something that I did was be very specific on what I wanted to achieve in my goal setting. And a lot of times when we talk about leadership, for me as a coach or a trainer or facilitator, I modeled myself on certain people that I admired um, and tried to replicate their qualities and add them to my toolkit. So I'm thinking of, let's say, Dr. Claire Gobbins of DCU or uh, Dr. Ann Torres in NUIG or my business partner, uh, Luke Monaghan. And certain qualities I can go on. I like their confidence or their ability to be their authentic self. And that is, that is a big part of leadership as well, isn't it? It's about being your authentic self and best version of yourself. And, and you mentioned this in the book. Absolutely. For, for us to lead, we should be looking and learning from other people and doing what we believe is right in our efforts to serve others. And uh, I think the way you're talking about this, William, is that sometimes we put on what we think other people would do and we mm. try it on for ourselves, and it doesn't feel like us. And yeah. it could be great for them. But if it doesn't feel authentic to us, people will, they will pick up on that. They will feel that. Yeah. And we will not feel like we're fully owning what we're about to do. And so um, it took me a long time to figure out the kind of leader I want to be. I made many mistakes and I try to be extremely open about them in the book so that other people don't look and see, oh, well, this is something she's got all figured out. I can't do this for myself. Oh no, friend, I made many mistakes and I want you to learn from them so that I can give you the roadmap I wish had been there for me. And that is the path of growth and learning, isn't it? It's making the mistakes and learning from them. And and this is the thing that's very unhelpful uh, is when you're talking about confidence, sometimes you're comparing yourself to something unrealistic uh, as well. So like I used to have lots of confidence issues uh, growing up and I used to compare myself. I'm a twin or an older brother, you know, and I used to compare, you know, because you're a twin, you're often compared. So then you're in that comparing mindset a lot. And then I used to compare myself to an older brother, my older brother. And then when I looked at my older brother, it was like, anybody would have this as an older, this guy is an older brother. Of course, they would not feel the same way. So I just reframed that in my head to say, actually, I'm really lucky to consider this guy, my brother. Certainly, you have a wonderful role model and also you're a wonderful person. And can you be stronger, different, better than you were yesterday is the best comparison for us to make rather mm -hmm. than looking at even your twin, which you know, many people would think, oh my gosh, this is the natural comparison. Um, you're two different people with two different, mm. different superpowers who share genes. And so what can I do that helps me feel like I am growing and moving forward for myself is a really powerful reframe like you shared. And that's often the advice I would give to people is run your own race. Don't, don't compare yourself to others because you've got different backgrounds. And then this is where you go back to your superpowers later on. You've different superpowers, powers, a bit like that. The Marvel Avengers or whatever you're talking about. Everybody's got a different superpower. So what I'd like to do is, is, is go back specifically then at how women can support each other. In your book, you say traditionally there have been 
barriers that maybe women haven't been supportive of each other or women haven't been supported in large. So, uh, you know, what were, what were those barriers or how can women support each other in the workplace? Well, I wrote one bold move a day specifically to help women fulfill their potential personally and professionally. And I also want the book to be available and encouraging for, for everyone. There are different challenges that women experience in the work. It is true that um, there are different expectations, different barriers, different stereotypes that women need to work through. And um, it's important that we figure out how the whole workplace can support women to thrive at work. And there's a special power in women supporting other women in this process too. And uh, I think that, you know, there are experiences that we that we have that maybe things were not fair or appropriate or kind to us. And we can either pass on that negative experience or we can do something different that we wish had happened for us. And I think that's that rising above you know, every one of us has probably experienced a difficult leadership situation at some point, a manager who didn't value us, a colleague who said unkind things. And I'm not ready to stoop to that level. Let's be better than that. Let's offer new opportunities to the people next to and, and after us. And I think that's where it comes through that everyone needs to support women in the workplace. And um, women in particular should also support other women in the workplace too. Yeah, because you speak in your book traditionally, Sometimes women are afraid to help each other because there was a perceived threat or scarcity for roles available or they didn't get the extra support or whatever during their career. And and I, I really like when you, you talk about bring other women up with you, about amplifying other women's voices in meetings when they get shut down, giving credit to women for their projects. This is a really important one. Sharing salary information to promote uh, transparency about the gender pay gap uh, and again it's given even something simple as this and I like this in your book you talk about an extra event ticket to someone or a mentor to open doors to or maybe just talking to other women about your experiences there's so many useful um, tips in this book so thank you for that and that brings me then to working moms working mothers in the workplace um, number one you, you describe a term the maternal wall. What is the maternal wall? Mm. So the maternal wall was coined by Joan C. Williams, who wrote a book that, you know, changed my life as a working woman, um, what works for women at work. And it is the sense that there is um, a wall, you know, that is, um, that happens for when women um, become mothers or when they are pregnant, even this happens too, that, you know, they there is a sense that, oh my gosh, they're going to care about their family more than they're going to care about their work. And we start to shut them out of conversations. We start not thinking about them for promotions. And all of this is um, based on perception that this mm. is what, you know, anyone who has a child is going to feel, but it happens less for fathers in the workplace than it does yeah. for mothers in the workplace, unfortunately. And Say, for example, I'm looking for a sponsor. How how might I d identify or cultivate a sponsor? So I'm like, OK, I, I, for me to, to get to the next level, this is what I need. I need a sponsor. What, what does that look like? So finding a sponsor is very different than finding a mentor. A mm. mentor is someone that you can approach and you can say, I'd like to learn from you. A sponsor is someone who's looking at your work outcomes, 
or your potential, and they are often choosing you. And they might not even tell you that they've chosen you. That's the thing about a sponsor is they are people who talk about you in those rooms with closed doors at the tables that you eventually want to be at, but are not quite yet. And they are saying, you know what? We should really look out for what Shauna could do in this organization. Or, you know, we've been thinking a lot about Jane and um, I'm not sure that she is in the right role. I wonder if we could give her that new role we've been talking about. And um, you can best cultivate sponsors by doing your best work and being willing to talk about your accomplishments, showing up to those extra networking events when you're able to, hopefully during the workday, and, um, and, and letting your good work be known so that other people can speak up on your behalf. So say, for example, we, we, we get that sponsorship uh, there, which is great. And then you need to start reflecting on your own leadership style. And, and you have this, I, I suppose, concept of leading where you're from. So what does leadership mean to you? Because um, I'd like to read from the book what you've said. Leadership isn't about a title or authority. It's the energy and purpose by which you lead yourself each day and how you serve others. So lead where you're from. So tell us more about that. I think what happens is when we are early in our career or, you know, growing in the org organization, but not at the top of the organizational chart, we start to feel like, do I even matter here? Can I make yeah. a difference? And we outsource our power by deciding that we don't have any. And so this concept of leading where you're from, leading from where you are, is the belief that everyone can be a leader in the organization. You may not have the corner office, the C-suite title, but that doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to positively influence your colleagues, yourself, and your organization. And so the book talks about practical ways that you can do that, even if you've just started in your career or if you're 15 years into it and thinking that someday you might want to be in that C-suite role. And if our listeners are interested more in this concept of leadership, I've, I've done a podcast with Marty Linsky of the Adaptive Leadership fame, and he talks this as a leadership is a behavior. So it's a bit like you, you're, yourself, you were talking about, it's not saying that it's positional power, it's more about what can you do with your personal power and how to leverage that. And oftentimes you can't lead people if you overuse positional power as well, isn't it? Because if you're if you're on the finish line on your own, where does that leave you? Where does that leave the organization? And 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 this leads us then to, to productivity. I love this term that you have. What is wise productivity? I think every person should know that. What about female leaders? Every person. What is wise productivity? Well, I think a lot about the, quote, great ideas that I've had in my career that I believe strongly would support the organization. And I worked toward them in my extra time with my whole heart. And, um, and they didn't really end up being used by the organization. And this was because I was working on something that I thought would really resonate for the organization. But the organization wasn't ready for at that time. Mm. And so I was devastated at the end of this process thinking, my gosh, they're not even hearing me. It's important that when you are taking on projects or especially extra projects, uh, that you are aligned with what the organization needs and wants. So that you are using your time well and the organization's time well. And that's how I define wise productivity so that you're not just doing something that at the end is put into a corner or put into a cabinet and never looked at again. And 
And this is sometimes it's kind of linked with promoting yourself in the workplace as well, the work that you're doing and or maybe understanding office politics, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But how do I promote myself in the workplace without coming across as a bit of a boaster or a show off? Because culturally speaking, as we said at the start of the podcast here, we might women might be reluctant to do that. It's because it's it's, you know, it's near to be seen and not heard uh, as well, isn't it? So. You know, how do we do that in a way that's, um, I suppose, adult-like? Mm-hmm. So the cultural nuance is such an important component here, William, and I and mm. I am extremely sensitive to this. You know, I worked um, with, with uh, donors abroad when I was doing my fundraising career, and I made the mistake of treating anyone who spoke English like an American, which is such an American thing to do. So I read the culture map at a mentor's suggestion, and it really helped me in this book, The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer, to understand that what is important in one country might look very different in another country. And so um, I want to be cognizant that even in America, it's often frowned upon when someone speaks about what makes them great at work. So it's, you know, there's this impression that everyone in America is like walking around saying, oh, well, I did this and I did this. When women do that here, we're still told that we should be quiet and just be, you know, doing our good work. So this is something, again, going back to those barriers that women face, regardless of what country they are in. And um, I think that it's understanding the politics in the organization and that you are also your own best career advocate, figuring out that very beautiful space in the middle, in the and, where you can advocate for your career by talking about your accomplishments and respect the organizational dynamics of wherever you're working. And what I really like it, the two different things that you've done. One is I love the concept of NNTR, no need to respond. And also, uh, instead of having chit chat in an elevator about something unrelated to work, you might talk about your achievements. So can you talk us through both of those? So which you want to go first, the NNTR or the elevator? We'll go with NNTR first. Okay. So NNTR is the acronym for no need to respond. And it is a way to share your updates about what you're working on with your manager. Ideally, your manager is responding to this and saying, great job. You're totally aligned. You're working on all the right priorities. But you are saying to them, no need to respond. So if they don't, you're not disappointed and they don't feel bad, although they should feel bad if they don't respond. But the idea is that you are advocating for yourself to the best of your ability. And you're also keeping track of the things that you're working on each week. Mm. And perhaps you're putting them into your well-being folder, as you call it, or the add a girl or bold move folder, as I call it. And so this is um, this is a way to talk about yourself in a way that maybe feels more comfortable at start because you're writing it into an email rather than standing up or, or in front of everyone or talking in a one-on-one with your boss. And it's important to consider this elevator example that you've mentioned because we do have to get comfortable with being willing to speak about ourselves and our work and our team's work um, in a one-on-one conversation. And so I use this example of how many times we get into that elevator with the most senior person in the organization. Maybe it's your boss, boss. You have two minutes to make an influence and you can talk about the weather or you can talk about what you're working on right now in a way that feels conversational and appropriate. It takes practice And I've done this myself and I have found it to be a much more meaningful exchange. And so these are two strategies that I like to use to help people in talking about their accomplishments. 
And what I like is is how you would word that. Now, one of one of these ways that you've said in your strategies is, here's what I learned about this project, and here's why. What a way to do that without coming across as, hey, look at me. You know, isn't isn't that great? And it's showing that learning mindset there. So so thank you for sharing that. I definitely um look into that in, in the book for our listeners. So here's a tricky one. And then we talked about it before, office politics. So a listener might be adverse to the term office politics or be reluctant to play the game. So what might advice might you give to a listener who's in this mindset? How might we reframe office office politics to them? Um, I define office politics, understanding the dynamics in your office, who makes decisions, who has the final say on things, and who who do you need to learn about in order to influence your own career and your own work? And the thing about office politics is that if you are not figuring this out for yourself, someone else is, and they will use this and their ability to get ahead. And it might be at your own detriment. So you owe it to yourself to invest in learning about your organization this way so that you can navigate your next steps in your career there. But it's also it's about how things are done. So it could be done to policies and procedures or, you know, how budgets are, you know, derived. All these various different things all encompass uh, that. And it it is, as you said, how, how decisions are made. And one of the, the we talked about mistakes before and you're talking about this as when you first became a manager. One of the mistakes you made is is remaining a superstar employee. Do tell me more. So, so you, this is your, your, you've got promoted for a technical competence. And then what happens? Well, this is common for many people. You know, you're mm. often promoted because you've done well at whatever frontline or, you know, job that you've been doing. Um, but you haven't yet been a manager because how would you have been a manager that someone has to take a chance on you? That transition is the most significant transition, I think, in anyone's career. When you go from being responsible for yourself to being responsible for a team, whether the team is one or 100 or 1,000, the mindset shift that is required for you to say, it's not about my best work anymore. My best work is my team's best work. My time is my team's time. My energy has to be dedicated to their success because their success is my success. And I think that many people get tripped up in this. And I do share pretty openly about the things that I got tripped up on because um, there isn't really this roadmap and guide for how to do this well. And that was part of my motivation in writing this book was to provide those kinds of learnings for people to to use and build on. And I have two questions. One is, is how do I manage my boss? Like, what are the things that I should be cognizant of if I want to manage upwards? Well, managing upward is one of the skills in the office that you have to learn because you, even at, in earlier in your career, you are figuring out, going back to the office politics, who makes decisions, how are they made, and who do I need to influence? And your boss is a very important part of your career satisfaction and success. So understanding how they think what's important to them, sharing what's important to you and how you think too, and then being willing to say, what can I do to help you in getting your job done in addition to the work that you're doing so that you can be seen as a right hand and a partner uh, for them in doing their work. And um, speaking of Melody Wilding, her next book 
that she's writing is all about managing up specifically. So the fact that there can be a whole book dedicated to this topic alone Wonderful. indicates how, how very wide and vast the, the learning needs to be in managing up. And speaking of writing books, you talked about the About Me document in user manual. So if you were going to be the boss that everybody wants to work for, I love this concept. So I'm a manager listening in. Why should I create an About Me document or user manual? The About Me document at its very core is understanding who you are as a person and a leader and helping to build trust faster with your team. I'm looking at this and it's such a great concept um, that... You know, it's it's your leadership approach, it's your philosophy, how you get the best out of me, how to communicate with me, how people misunderstand me, how to help me. Um, I just think it's fantastic that people would do that. So that's in chapter nine, people. It is a brilliant book. So we are coming to the end of our podcast today. One Ball Move a Day is such a good book. It's by uh, it's published by McGraw and Hill. And before we leave, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. What else would you like to share with our listeners? How, If they were to get in touch with you, how might they do so? Well, I would love to continue the conversation. And my website is shanaahawking.com. And I'm very active on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. And you can find me there at shanaahawking as well. Shauna, thank you so much for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you so much for all you do, William. Thanks for listening to the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss. Our special thanks to this episode's guest for sharing their expertise with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please download and share it. For updates on future episodes and to get in contact with us about any workplace topics, please follow Yellowwood on LinkedIn and Twitter at Different Paths. As always, you can head over to yellowwood.ie for any other information. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider of executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organization.